I want to jump in just to say I really appreciate that point that Jace iterated that I think was from that Polyland article about how the goal doesn't have to be to reach the saturation point. You know, yeah. that again, we can feel like, oh, I'm polyamorous or I'm non-monogamous. This is my identity. And so this is what I should be doing. I should be filling up all my available time with partners. Like that can motivate that feeling. Or honestly, I think this, this can be a hangover from monogamy culture as well, right? That we're mm. sort of taught, okay, if you find the one, if you find your partner, you should be dedicating as much time and energy as you possibly can to that relationship. All your free you know, time. that yeah, that should right. be taking up most of your time. And so we can sort of transpose that onto non-monogamy, right? And feel like, okay, the goal is to fill up this huge chunk of time with all my partnerships. So I think for me, even just remembering that is really good insight. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're diving deep into the concept of polysaturation and exploring the limits of love, or at least our bandwidth for relationships. We're going to be discussing the factors that influence polysaturation, such as time, distance, health, and how it differs from burnout and how it's similar to burnout. And we're also going to look at some alternate ways of thinking about polysaturation that can apply in other types of relationships. Regardless of your relationship status, there should be something here for you in terms of balancing our emotional lives and our time to better understand our capacities and desires. So let's jump on into this and talk about polysaturation. Yeah, um, I immediately I wanted to discuss that and, and also kind of how when you first are starting out as polyamorous, I think there is this internal idea that you just have to go out and find all the partners you can, or at least like collect a few and kind of see how that goes. But yes, as you move along more in your journey, or maybe just as you get older, I don't know, it seems like perhaps one, two, three, that's about all one can muster. I don't know about yeah. y'all. Well, there is that phenomenon, right? That when you're a newbie, you kind of want to, maybe for not for everybody, but some people want to do this like polyam Pokemon Go. Yeah. Like you said, <laughs> of maybe, especially I think if you're someone who you feel like you felt non-monogamous or polyamorous your entire life, or this is something you've been thinking about for a long time, and then finally you have the opportunity to say yes to people and opportunities that previously, maybe for many years or decades, you had to say no to. It's understandable that you go out and then you say yes to everything at once. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. The question about if it has to do with age is interesting because I feel like, it, and we'll get into this more as we explore it, but I think a lot of it just has to do with what's going on in your life and what commitments you have. And I think for a lot of people, as we get older, we get more of those things, but that's not always the case. And I've definitely encountered people at all different ages who seem to have way more capacity for partners than I would expect or something like that. What season of life are you in currently at that moment? And that can mean, are you maybe retired or are you just having kids leave the house and you have more time? Or did you just finish a PhD program and finally you have all this free time that you didn't once have? Right. So let's look at some definitions when we talk about things like polysaturation and burnout. What do those things even mean? Polysaturation is a state in which a polyamorous person has as many significant relationships as they can handle at a given time. So there's a lot of factors that influence polysaturation, things like time or distance between partners. Maybe you have a big family that needs a lot of attention at a particular time in your life. Maybe you're growing your family in some way. Also health concerns. 
if you're super introverted or maybe you're really extroverted and you have ended up finding a lot of partners and then you're like, shit, I can't handle anymore. (laughs) Also, other partners' expectations in terms of your time or in terms of how much they feel like they want to see you or not. And whatever types of relationships it is that you're having, I think when I was polyamorous, I would have somebody that I saw maybe every month, other people that I saw maybe every week, and then also a live-in partner, things like that. So that can really determine how many people you may have at any given time. And like a lot of the terms that have come up out of polyamory, like compersion or things like that, we don't have a clear origin of like, oh, this person invented this term at this time. That's something that we tried to look into for this. And basically nobody, nobody that I came across knows. And if someone does say they know, I'm going to be a little bit suspicious of it uh, just because it's with the internet. Sometimes it's hard to track down the origin of things like this. Well, so speaking of origins, we also need to define the term burnout, which is related. So that term, we actually can trace its origin back to 1975. It's become a hot term these days, like I think especially millennial burnout. 1975, I was shocked at just because it feels so prevalent right now. I figured that that was a thing that maybe came into vogue more recently Mm -hmm. just as a term. But Mm -hmm. 1975, I'm I'm wondering like what was happening then. Was it the big like Wall Streeters maybe doing a bunch of banking or something and getting real burned out? I don't know. What was happening yeah, maybe. in 1975? Uh, you know, women, more and more women, women starting to enter the workforce. Although I guess that mm. like really hit its peak or started to, to gain steam in the early 80s. But, uh, you know, maybe more like working mothers mm. uh, or mainstream, at least suburban working mothers, you know, who probably would be the people on the front lines of burnout, I would imagine. I don't know. That's That's interesting. But Burnout refers to things like being emotionally exhausted, having a decreased sense of accomplishment, maybe feeling less connected to your work, less inspired. Uh, It can occur in many different aspects of life, not just work, but also family life, personal relationships. So there is a difference here in that when we talk about polysaturation, that is specific to polyamory, non-monogamy, especially regarding relationship or number of relationship capacity while burnout is a broader term that's applicable to various life situations. So maybe we can put polysaturation under the broader umbrella term of burnout. As with a lot of polyamory-specific terms, like I mentioned compersion a second ago, what to me is so interesting about them is that within polyamory, it kind of gets us thinking of like, oh, look at these unique situations that we have. We should come up with words for those. And so we have things like compersion, you know, feeling good when your partner feels good, even if it doesn't involve you. And then we realize as we talk about it that, you know, this this is something that everybody experiences. It's not just exclusive to polyamorous relationships, but it finally was prevalent enough that it was worth making a word for it. And so then it's interesting. And compersion is nice because it can still get used in any kind of context, not just in these multiple romantic relationships. But then with this one, polysaturated, As I was thinking about it, and you'll see this more and more as we get into this in this episode, but this concept applies in all sorts of relationships and is really not specific to polyamory or just multiple romantic relationships at all. But because poly is in it, the polysaturated, I was thinking about like, what are some other terms we could use to kind of broaden that concept? And so some ones I came up with were things like connection saturated. It's kind of like I've got enough connections in my life that I feel like I'm not able to give as much to all of them as I want Mm -hmm. or maybe socially saturated, kind of a similar idea and helps clarify that concept that these aren't necessarily sexual or romantic relationships, but more it's about the social part. Or the other one that I kind of like is emotionally saturated, which the thing I like about that one is that it helps cover it's not just about social obligations, but there could be something else that's taking up a lot of my emotional energy and bandwidth that, you know, maybe it's not that like, oh, I've got so many plans, I can't deal with it. But emotionally, I've just got so much going on that I don't want to take on anymore. So just just to throw that out there to get us thinking about it, because I think this is just such a useful thing to be aware of that most of us aren't. And so I think it's so cool that we actually have a word to describe it. And I want to make that more useful for more people. 
I appreciate that. I appreciate that putting that lens on it almost gives it a little bit more of a holistic focus where, again, I think with non-monogamous folks, we can still get caught up in the uh, how many partners is too many or how many partners do I have capacity for? And then it can be easy to sort of put blinders on not acknowledging, oh, but I also have my family relationships. I also have my two besties that I go to coffee with every week. I also have you know, my work, like really trying to look at the whole landscape, I think, especially if you're in a position where you're trying to evaluate, is now a good time to start dating someone or say yes to dating someone or is now a good time to get on the apps or not. This makes me think about monogamous relationships and the idea of the nuclear family and how so often the nuclear family tends to be insular and not have much connection to a lot of people in the outside world. And I do wonder if that's just simply because of that saturation in a variety of ways that you're talking about, Jace, like Mm. emotionally saturated or something along those lines, just especially in certain points, if it's like, I can't think about anything else or I can't do anything else. And it's unfortunate that that sort of is something that I think people just understand as that's just a reality. That's just a truth, even though often we don't put as much time and effort into other connections as maybe we we should be or maybe we want to be. Yeah, it's funny. It's making me think with the nuclear family thing you bring up about, I think so often what we see is kind of the opposite problem there, where it's like, I'm told that this is my only social world mm-hmm. anymore. And I feel so unsatisfied by this that I'm going to go have an affair or have a crisis or whatever. And so I'm like, what's the opposite of saturated? Like, Because maybe there's a problem on the other side that we haven't even thought about. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the opposite of saturated is. Like uh, depleted lack in lack? I know there's a fancy, I'm sure there's a fancier sounding term, but that's just the top off the top of my head. yeah, Yeah, as we could almost do a whole other episode just exploring that spectrum right between like i'm I'm not getting enough of Mm. emotional social engagement and sort of sense of connection versus the what we're talking about today which is i have so much of this that i'm dropping the ball or i'm feeling overwhelmed or feeling burned out or or whatever it is so dedeker you talked about this a little bit before but i think it's understandable to question how many partners is normal to have when you're polyamorous because i think normal may feel different from one person to another and it may fluctuate throughout the time that you are in polyamorous relationships especially maybe when you're starting out like we said you may want to be dating just everyone one date per day of the week perhaps or maybe when time goes on or you're at a specific challenging point in your life that number may dwindle down to very few partners so we tried to look at some research on polysaturation but empirical research is really minimal out there which makes a lot of sense to me it largely because it requires researchers to have a definition of what counts as a partner and those definitions are super diverse you know, as diverse as polyamorous people themselves. But we did find a survey from 2012 called the Loving More Survey. And this survey had a total of 4,062 participants ranging in age from 16 to 92. And it was an internet-based survey co-sponsored by the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, and the participants all self-identified as polyamorous. And the investigators were Fleckenstein, Bergstrand, and Cox. I love those names. (laughs) They're great. What they found was that the average number of sexual partners in the previous year was just over five. Now, that's an interesting distinction because that's about sexual partners, which right away when it said the word partner, I was like, oh, this is somebody that they're like dating or seeing for maybe a long period of time. But here they're talking about just sexual partners. So that's fascinating. Five seems, yeah, that that's understandable to me that like, okay, maybe it would be five people. But to have five partners at a time to me seems like a ton. Yeah, but that's the piece we don't get to know, right? It's because one, we don't know what counts as sex yeah, in this study. We exactly. also you know, don't know, well, like, okay, how many other partners did they have that maybe they're not sexual with? Or how long did these last? Or, right, there's a lot of question marks there, but... It is at least interesting to have some kind of sense of what people answered. 
Fleckenstein and Cox, so two out of the three from that last survey, they did another study in 2014 that specifically only looked at U.S. adults older than 55. And again, it's not clear how partnership is defined here, but that survey found that most polyamorous people maintain two or at the most three partnerships simultaneously. And that's really fascinating and awesome that they did a study with people over 55 because that's almost like never what people look right. at in right. studies. So sure. well done. Especially with polyamory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. But this one does seem to be emphasizing more of the maintaining partnerships. Mm. Yeah. Again, I'm, we're not totally clear on like what counts as a partner or not, but versus how many people did you have sex with? It's how many partnerships do you have or how many partners do you have? So that may actually be a little bit better in terms of research and looking at like what constitutes as normal if that's what we're looking at here. If that's the question that we're trying to answer. Then maybe two or three is more on the normal side of the scale. Which I guess I think, again, when I was in my early 20s, first exploring non-monogamy, three felt like a nice magic number of yeah. ongoing partnerships that I felt like I, I could ma maintain. Right? Three. Yeah. Three is three great. Three often felt good. Nowadays, like I want to say within the past five years or so, like the few periods of time where I have gone from two to three partners, my anxiety has just gone through the roof. Really? And that's not necessarily from like what those three partners are doing, but from myself really of like, oh God, okay, three partners that I want to, you know, have good relationships with and take care of and spend time with and oh God, oh God, oh God, how am I going to do that? So mm -hmm. I, I think for me three emotionally entangled relationships is probably a lot. I think for me, in order to have three partners again, there needs to be very different expectations of mm. how I'm going to show up or what shape those relationships are going to take. Which is a great segue to our next section here. Yeah. Getting beyond just numbers. Yeah, because it's, it's not a number because all partnerships are created a little bit differently. It is more complex. So on the Polyland blog, Paige Turner wrote this piece called Full Up or Not Hungry, Polysaturated versus Polysatisfied. Love, love new terms always. <laughs> and yeah, so in their article, they bring up this interesting distinction between having capacity to take on more partners versus desire to seek out more partners, which I think is really interesting because I think that I've gone through different periods of life where I maybe have a desire to go on a first date or to be dating someone new, but don't necessarily have the capacity and also vice versa. We're like, I feel like I have the capacity, but have zero desire whatsoever mm -hmm. to get on the app and then be expending my time and energy on trying to find somebody. They also point out the fact that, you know, for some people, non-monogamy can function as fulfilling a need, you know, a need for variety, a need to express your identity, a need to be relationally creative. It's often presented in this way. And for other people, it's maybe not even necessarily a need. It can just be about freedom or curiosity or exploration. So I, I guess I think about that as if you're a non-monogamous person and let's say you suddenly find yourself in a situation of having zero partners or one partner, does it feel like oh God, I do need to kind of rush out to still maintain my identity or I do feel like there's a part of me that's just not alive or not being fulfilled if I'm not dating multiple people versus I think maybe if you're in a situation where it's less about that and just more about like, oh, I don't know, it's fun or I don't know, it's fun to just kind of explore new people or get to know new people or explore new relationships. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting thing to bring up where I know that I experienced this myself kind of starting out in non-monogamy was this sense of if I have time for more partners, I should have more partners. Like mm -hmm. as in mm -hmm. this polysaturation mm -hmm. point is a goal. And I don't want to say it like a goal, like, oh, I'm keeping score, but more it's like, oh, well, that's what you should be doing, right? You want to be dating so that you're dating all the time and you're so fulfilled and it's so great. And now for myself over the last few years, I'll be like, even just with one partner, I feel like I've got a lot going on in my life, you know, between that and my friendships and my job and this podcast and all these other things that sort of that, okay, I want to get myself to where I'm far enough from that saturation point that then I can feel more open to finding new relationships. And it just keeps making me think about this idea of rather than trying to find the limit right away of this, I want to find a place where I'm comfortable, right? If I'm like, gosh, I really want another partner. Okay, great. Seek that out. But it's like, okay, I think I might be okay, because if you've got that little extra bandwidth, 
when you just happen to meet that random, really cool, charming person, that's an option instead of that like, shit, I don't have time for this person. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've talked mm-hmm. to so many people who have that experience of like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I, I don't know, I was on a trip and I met this person and they're actually from my town and I want to date them and they're so cool. We really connected and it's great, but like, I have no time. Like, how could I do this? Uh, like, do I have to change my schedule with my other partners, whatever? It's got me thinking about that. Having that extra room really frees up a lot of of options, which is which is a nice feeling. Yeah, definitely. There was a medium blog titled What is Polysaturation and How Do You Know When You're There? This was by Rachel Hope, and it points out some other factors that may significantly affect when polysaturation occurs. And we just were talking about some of them, but things like time which includes how much time folks want together versus their alone time. There are a lot of us out there that feel like, okay, I don't need that much alone time. I I feel great when I'm around a ton of people. My alone time can be pretty brief. And there are people that really, really need their alone time and they need multiple hours in the day in order to spend recharging. On the infladating episode that we did a few weeks ago, we found that people after the pandemic, they're more likely and willing to go further distances to date than they used to. But I think that really makes some people pause when they're interested in dating someone or not. They're like, well, this person lives 50 minutes away from me. It's going to take a really long time to get there. I just don't have the bandwidth to be able to do that now. Also, if you have family members that need significant amounts of care or just time, you know, small children, even aging parents, then you're probably not going to have a lot of bandwidth to go on dates. Also, your own health or physical limitations, things along those lines as well, that may make a difference in terms of how open you are to seeing new people. A kind of challenging one could be time of year, like the season differences, Mm -hmm. where, you know, maybe it's warmer, People are wearing less clothing on a day-to-day basis, so you want to date oh more God. of them. I don't know. <laughs> or uh, or maybe like as it's starting to get colder, it's like, no, I just want to settle down with these ones I'm comfortable with. You know, that could change a little bit. Um, you know, Emily mentioned the alone time thing. That may be a little bit related to like an introversion, extroversion kind of thing. Like how much stimulation do I want versus how much do I just want to be chill and quiet? Mm-hmm or have my alone time. And then I think it's also worth pointing out that this can really change based on the type of relationships you're having. And so Dedeker, you kind of hinted at this, where you're like, if you were going to date three people again, you need to reevaluate what each of those relationships looks like. And so, you know, an example of this would be if your partner expects like a, a really intimate relationship where you're living together or spending a lot of time at each other's places, maybe interacting a lot with each other's partners, with your metamors, doing sort of a kitchen table, lapsitting polyamory, then that's going to take potentially a lot more time and a lot more emotional energy because it's not just them, but also all their other partners that you're needing to have some kind of social interaction with and use that energy. Or, you know, it could be someone who's a comet who you only see once a year or something like that. Then obviously I could have several partners that I only saw once a year and maybe that's kind of a strange setup, but I don't know, kind of sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> right? But there's there's a lot of different options for how that could look. And so I wanted to explore a little bit of that, just some examples maybe from our own lives or things we've seen about just how it's really not about the numbers, how it's more about what types of relationships are you having and what are the demands that those relationships put on you. Yeah, I mean, for several years, I had two significant partners at once that I ended up kind of alternate, alternately cohabiting with throughout the year. And they were on opposite ends of the planet, which made things a little bit more difficult, right? So I, I feel hmm. like my third partner was just like airplanes at that point. Like a couple times during those years, I would kind of try to go on some dates, again, kind of with the understanding of like, I'm going to go into this and whoever I date, it's going to be pretty casual because I feel pretty saturated. And I just never really got anything to work for a long period of time as far as like even having a third more casual partner. But I mean, for many years, again, like having those kind of two significant partners felt pretty saturated to me, maybe satisfied, really, to be totally honest. Maybe things would have been different if, I don't know, if I wasn't employed or something, if I didn't also have 
life projects or, you know, this podcast or stuff like that, maybe then I would have more bandwidth or wouldn't have felt as saturated. I'm not sure. But yeah, again, this can take many forms. Like Alyssa Gonzalez introduced us to that great turn of phrase of being polysaturated at one, right? Where Mm -hmm. maybe you just have one partner and creative projects that you pour your time into, or you have one partner plus you're taking care of a newborn right now and you don't want to spend any of your little bit of energy or time on dating. Or maybe that expands for some people that could be there for partners. You know, they have one person that they live with. They have one friends with benefits. They have two people that they're just kind of dating or seeing occasionally. You know, I've seen all kinds of different arrangements that people go through here. Yeah. One that I feel like is a a trap that I've certainly fallen into before is that like, okay, I'm dating two people somewhat seriously and I'm also dating a you know a couple more people that are sort of newer, more casual relationships. Well, the problem is if those relationships go well and you're like, oh, I want to be spending more time in developing these relationships more, you can kind of start out in a place of like, yeah, this is a decent setup. This works for my energy level. And then it's like, oh, no, I want to incorporate this person more into my life. Where is that bandwidth going to come from? And that that can be a challenge, too, if you've got, I don't know, too many uh, of Irons in the fire? Uh, I was going to say ovens in the fire, but that's not the same. No, no, not too many ovens in the fire. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about right when we all were starting out, I was in the quad relationship. And then for a brief period, Josh was in the picture. I also had this other guy that I was sort of seeing. So that's so many freaking relationships. (laughs) I'm just shocked (laughs) that I had that many people that I was seeing and that I was able to invest that much time into. It's really Mm -hmm. incredible. I'm like, yeah, I do wonder. I'm like, what was I doing at that time? I was just dating. If we ever retire, we'll go back to that. Maybe. I like to think that that could be a fun thing to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, this is a season in all of our lives where I feel like we're really hustling a lot, and it's hard. Maybe when we were not hustling as much, we had more bandwidth and more time to date, and that's just not the case. Our our other partner are our jobs right now. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I was, yeah. I, I've thought about that a lot when I think back to like, how did I do it? How did I? Because yeah. because I'm recently, and maybe this is partly why this is on my mind here as well. Is I'm I'm you know considering getting back into the world of dating someone or someone's new, and it's a little bit scary and overwhelming, and also just like, oh my gosh, like I go back and forth between do I even have the energy or the bandwidth for that at all. Even just having one partner right now, plus some close friendships that I care a lot about, plus a normal job, plus this podcast, which has grown more and more <laughs> to more of a commitment, you know, and, and all these things that I think back to that time of like, oh, yeah, when I was dating more, I was a lot, I would say, less employed Yeah, when this podcast took up less time. You know, it was it was a much smaller thing back then. And Dating was hard because I had a lot less money, but I did have a lot more time, which... You can never have it all. Like, you can <laughs> you can maybe... But not all at once? I don't know. Maybe you can have everything everywhere all at once. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so, so anyway, with all of that, let's uh, get back into exploring just a little bit more about burnout to kind of understand the origins of this term and what that's about. And then we're going to dive a little bit deeper into... How do we identify this for ourselves? How can we prevent it? And what can we do about it in our lives? But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about how you can support this show. If you appreciate getting this information in your podcast machine every week for free, we would love it if you would take a moment to check out our sponsors and to support this show by joining our community. That directly helps us keep this content coming to everyone out there in the world for free. So we really do appreciate you taking the time to check it out. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discrete shipping when you use our code MULTI. 
Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. Now, let's talk a little bit more about burnout, which is something I think all three of us have experienced over different times in our lives. I thought you were going to say over and over and over again. Not over and over and over again all the time. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're hopefully fairly good about understanding when burnout happens and that we maybe need to do something about it. It's tough. I I, I think, yes, if, if you feel like you are polysaturated and you have maybe some emotional or social saturation if you're not in a polyamorous relationship and all of that happens with a lot of like overwhelming feelings, then you may be burned out or you may want to look at the framework of burnout to try to kind of determine what it is that you can do about going through this thing in your life right now. So as we talked about before, burnout was coined as a technical term by Herbert Freudenberger. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah sure. Sure, great. why not? In 1975, which again is a long time ago now. My goodness, I'm, I'm shocked that it was then. And it is defined by three components. So the first is emotional exhaustion. And that's the fatigue that comes from maybe just caring about something too much for too long. That, yeah, there's a point at which it's like, okay, I just can't anymore. And that may be your job, like a really intense project that's occurring in your job. Or I think for me, feeling like I I have to be at my day job when I'm not there, for instance, that can result in burnout. I think maybe for Dedeker, I mean, it's great that you take time off from your job so that you can minimize feeling burned out. We actually talked about this gosh, almost two years ago now on episode 327 about compassion fatigue, that kind of just emotionally giving too much that you just kind of, I like the term burnout because it's like, yeah, you've burned it all up. There's nothing more to burn here. There's no more fuel here that can be burned. The next component is depersonalization, which is that depletion of empathy, compassion, and caring. That kind of goes along with compassion fatigue right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like an apathy kind of. Yeah. And then third, a decreased sense of accomplishment. That's really interesting. So this unconquerable sense of futility or this feeling that nothing you do makes any difference. That's kind of like an existential like dread maybe of oh, whatever it is that I'm doing. It just doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. We're all just like on this big machine, this big cog in the sky doing nothing really. Yeah, I also wanted to point out, I didn't do this earlier, that this, I think this can happen and it doesn't have to be connected to a particular job. It doesn't have to be connected to a particular life situation or relationship situation. Sometimes they can, this can literally just be the product of living under capitalism, yeah. living under oppression, you know, like living under just all the kind of systems that we currently have to navigate on a day-to-day basis. Even if you love your job, even if you love your family, even if you love your relationships and your partners and you get a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment from them, burnout can still happen. I think that the Decreased sense of accomplishment is one that in times when I've felt burned out, that's kind of the big key of that that sense of like, I'm doing lots of things. And if I were to tell someone all the things I'm doing or all the things I did, they're like, holy shit, that's a lot of stuff. And I'm like, but it's not enough. Like I haven't done enough. And I do think that is very much related to that concept of, you know, your value comes from what you accomplish and that sort of hustle culture. And you've got to be doing all the things all the time. And there's a lot of that kind of glorifying of that mindset, which I know for myself really leads to that that feeling of 
it doesn't matter how hard I'm working, like nothing seems to matter. Like it's all futile and it's, I just have trouble caring about stuff. Or then I will care and the caring just makes me more upset because I don't think I'm doing enough or, you know, kind of getting caught in that cycle. And it's interesting because I think for me, I don't tend to think about burnout exactly as related to my relationships, even though it affects everything. But I do think it's worth pointing out how there can be those similarities too, if it's just like, I'm giving so much of myself in so many relationships that I'm starting to not be able to care so much about anything or kind of feel like I'm getting fulfilled by these things, which I think can ironically lead us then to seek out more partners or more relationships to try to get that mm, fulfillment sure. that we're missing and can't even make the cycle worse. Yeah, I guess that's true. I think we see that with, you know, some people that can fall into maybe like NRE chasing or novelty chasing, mm, yeah. perhaps, you know, where, yeah, it's it's if you feel like, oh, I've kind of lost that high from this person that now I've been dating for six months or a year or whatever. And, or I, I feel like, now this relationship takes more of my energy and I'm not getting that same NRE high back. So I got to go find that with the next person. Right. Ironically making it worse. Yes. Like just <laughs> burning yourself out more. So with all of this, and I think we've been kind of teasing it and maybe it's obvious to you when you've hit that fully burned out, you know, social, emotional, polysaturation point. Um, but maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're like, am I at that? I don't know. How, how could I determine? Or how can I tell earlier when this is happening if I'm on my way to this so I can avoid getting into it again? And so the place to start here is to take a moment and check in with yourself. If you've been non-monogamous for a while, you can probably think back to, to different points in your life when you've felt more like this or not. But to think about, you know, first, are you feeling saturated as in I'm at capacity, like I do, like I barely have time, or maybe I don't even have time for the relationships I have right now, I could not possibly take on any more. Or are you maybe feeling satisfied, like that polysatisfied thing that we talked about earlier of maybe you have some extra bandwidth, but you're kind of good, you know, like maybe that's okay. But I think identifying that can help you get more of a feel for how much more bandwidth you might have so that you can be like, ooh, having this amount of buffer is good. This is the new goal, right? I want to have this flexibility here. And so I think it's interesting when you think back on your life, and I'm curious to hear from both of you about this too, but kind of like, what are the things that told you, shit, I'm saturated now, <laughs> you know, I've, I've gone too far, we dug too deep. Um, so our, our researcher for this a real, episode- A real Balrog. Yeah. The real Balrog of burnout. <laughs> the burnout Balrog. Yeah. No. Love the burnout Balrog. So our researcher for this episode, Dr. Kiana Nurse, uh, put a note in here that for her, it's when she doesn't have any time for spontaneity. Where like every hour is scheduled in an obligation to somebody. That's when she knows like, ah, I've done it. I've stretched myself too thin. This is too much. I'm, I'm at that saturation point. So not the satisfied point, but that fully saturated point. I think for me, a number of different symptoms will show up if I'm thinking specifically about relationship burnout. Okay, definitely like not having any alone time is definitely a part of it. If my social obligations, and I mean not just relationships with partners, but also with friends, if when I put those in the calendar, it starts to feel like an ugh, mm. uh, I, I want to cancel on this person or I don't really want to go see this person, even if I was the one who initiated wanting to hang out or whatever, like that's a sign. If I'm starting to do that thing where I'm staying up later and later and later, because that's like my only alone time or it's my only time to read or play video games or do any kind of unstructured leisure activity. And then that's starting to eat into my sleep. I think that's a part of it. But for me, I think what I've also learned from the past is I feel like I, maybe it's because of doing this show for so long. I feel like I hold myself to a very high standard of what I provide in a partnership or what I should provide in a partnership or how much I should communicate or how much I should be attending to a relationship. And so I think I just kind of feel it in my gut that if I've taken on a number of partners and I just have that anxious feeling, I think that's how I know. I really think this oversaturation stuff can apply to so many areas of our life. 
because for me, sometimes it includes not just my commitments to people, but my commitments to stuff that I'm doing or jobs that I'm doing or whatever. And again, you know, we have to do those things often because they're making us money and we're in this capitalist machine and all of that. But if you are truly taking on too much, you can start to feel that. And if it feels like a resentment, that's what happens to me, like a resentment of the world or a resentment of like people that aren't having to work as hard as you or a lot of feeling sorry for myself, things like that. Like all of those types of little feelings internally are clues for me that, hey, you need to change something here, not just the world at large is out to get you or you're working too hard or whatever, but maybe you've taken on too much. And I think that that's a good distinction right there to kind of look internally and figure out what it is that that needs to be changed because we really can't do everything all the time. And maybe sometimes we'd take on way too much that we just simply can't handle at any given point. I know that I do. So I think, yeah, those are, are good ways to kind of look out for that. Yeah, something that just occurred to me while both of you were talking that happened to me more you know, again, years ago when I was doing a lot more dating is when I find myself trying to focus on how to make my dating more efficient somehow. Mm, interesting. That it's that kind of like, okay, can I, can I arrange it to hang out with both of these people or these three people at the same time? So it's not going to take as much of my time or, you know, how can I, it's like trying to figure out like, what are the hacks I can do to make this more manageable? And it's funny, I did, that never even occurred to me till just now thinking back on this and going, yeah, that's a pretty clear indication of that this is too much if I'm trying to figure out how I can make it more efficient. Because it is sure. sort of like you said, Dedeker, of that feeling of like, uh, okay, gosh, okay, when can I fit this in? Uh, yeah. And that's not a feeling I want to have about dates or hanging out with partners. I want to be excited about that, you know, or or at least like, comfortable and like oh yeah that's gonna be nice mm. and i've definitely been at times where that's not how it feels because there's just too much going on so what can we do about polysaturation is there anything to be done here how how do we avoid this burnout this polysaturation or how do we recover from it if we're a part of it and if we're in the thick of it currently well i want to jump in just to say i really appreciate that point that Jace iterated that I think was from that Polyland article about how the goal doesn't have to be to reach the saturation point. You know, yeah. that again, we can feel like, oh, I'm polyamorous or I'm non-monogamous. This is my identity. And so this is what I should be doing. I should be filling up all my available time with partners. Like that can motivate that feeling. Or honestly, I think this, this can be a hangover from monogamy culture as well, right? That we're mm. sort of taught, okay, if you find the one, if you find your partner, you should be dedicating as much time and energy as you possibly can to that relationship. All your free you know, time. That, yeah, that should right. be taking up most of your time. And so we can sort of transpose that onto non-monogamy, right? And feel like, okay, the goal is to fill up this huge chunk of time with all my partnerships. So I think for me, even just remembering that is really good insight. We talked about this last week. Boundaries, a big one. Wow. And those are really internal boundaries for yourself, in my opinion, not, again, anything that you're placing on anyone, but just saying to yourself, hey, I know that I'm at capacity. I know that I'm getting to a place where I need to change the way in which I'm doing something. And so let me put some boundaries in place so that I can give myself time. For instance, nine o'clock every night, I'm going to stop whatever it is I'm doing and I'm going to set things down, start getting ready for bed, maybe take some time to read, take some time to do something fun just for me. Yeah, I, I love that Kiana put this in here where she's the one who mentioned, you know, boundaries is a way. And what I like about it is I think it's actually a really good example and one that maybe we could use more often when talking about boundaries and how, you know, we always present them as there's something that you do for yourself and by yourself. It's completely enforced by yourself and it's to protect yourself and protect your well-being. And that there, it's not always fun to do. And I think this is such an interesting example of that where it's, okay, maybe I've learned this about myself or I realize like, gosh, I can really overcommit myself. And so even though I want to 
date this new person. Or even though I want to kind of get that dopamine hit of going on a first date and meeting someone new, maybe my boundary for myself is I'm like, I'm at capacity right now. I know even though that might be fun, I'm going to get myself into this situation that's going to be not fun for longer than it was fun. You know, So I think that's such a good example of how it's like, yeah, boundaries aren't always fun, but they can really be so important and help avoid unhealthy situations. I really like that Kiana put that in here. So along with that scheduling intentional quality time for yourself so that you have time to deal with your stress about whatever it is that you're stressed about, it could be your job, it could be too many partners, it could just be, wow, like I'm at a really challenging point in my career, in my life, so much is going on right now, so much is going on for us. And I think we're feeling this over and over again. I think just also this scheduling quality time for yourself just in general. Yeah. You know, you know, even besides dealing with any particular stress, it's just I know for myself, and I think we actually talked about this way back, like within the first couple years of doing this podcast, of this idea of like scheduling one night a week that's your date with yourself, that to to kind of put that buffer in place so that it's not just like any free time I have, some partner's gonna claim it. But kind of this like, no, I've got at least this little bit of protected time every week that's just for me. I think Gosh, that, that sounds great. I definitely don't do great. that. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like a week, maybe like once a month. <laughs> but yeah, that's lovely. So Emily and Amelia Nagoski wrote a book called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And they talk about this thing, completing the cycle. So dealing with the stress, whatever it is that that stress is in your life. Even if the stressor has left you or ended, and they say deal with the stress so that you can be well enough to deal with the stressor. So if that stressor maybe comes back eventually at a different time in your life, you can deal with that stress that keeps happening to you and happening to your body so that you'll be better equipped for the future. Yeah, and they they make this interesting distinction about highlighting this difference between stress, which is the feeling you have, you know, your body's response, and then the stressor, the stressor, which is the thing causing that, you know, the thing that's affecting that. And, you know, that could be a relationship, could be your job, could be a lack of sleep. You know, there's any number of things that this could be. It could be health problems, all sorts of different things. But the idea that there's the stress, which is the thing you're experiencing, and the stressor, and that dealing with the two of those are kind of separate from each other. That like they point out that even if you were to get rid of the stressor, like maybe this was a shitty relationship and I've broken up with it, that doesn't necessarily mean my stress is gone. Like you still have to process that too. Or in that quote that Emily just read, deal with the stress so you can be well enough to deal with the stressor. It's maybe because I'm feeling so stressed, I'm unable to do these healthy coping mechanisms to deal with how much my job is asking of me or how much my family needs from me or whatever it is. And so by finding ways to handle my stress, I can then better manage that stressor to then help me have less stress. So I just think that's a really interesting distinction that they make and definitely something worth thinking about. So to give an example of, of what we mean here is when a stressor happens, your body's stress response is all those hormones that are happening, right? It's, it's endorphins, it's epinephrine that's pumping, you know, all of this extra stuff into your heart and your muscles. You become less sensitive to pain. Your palms maybe get sweaty, your mouth gets dry. All these things that are part of this stress response that might save your life if you're being hunted by a bear or something like that. But in our day-to-day -day lives, we don't get that uh, like physical expression of this. And so we can kind of get stuck in, there's all these hormones making me feel shitty and causing harm to my body so that I can run away from a tiger, but there's no tiger to run away from. And so they talk about this concept of completing the cycle, which refers to letting your body move sort of through this physically activated state and that that doesn't happen just because the stressor's gone, that that stress is still in you and getting that out of there. And so, you know, they talk about this is especially true if there's a chronic stressor in our lives, activating this over and over and over again. It's much easier to get than stuck in that 
physical, physiological, neurological state of stress. Um, or it could be that there are things preventing you from expressing the stress that you're feeling. Like maybe it's not socially appropriate to to yell and scream and push things over or something like that. Or uh, it could be safety, that maybe it wouldn't be safe for us to express this. And so they emphasize this idea of finding ways, and this could be something where you would seek out professional help, but to help complete that cycle, to allow that stress to sort of be completed and can move out of you, and to not think that, oh, just because I removed the stressor, now I should be fine. Yeah, so this is very similar to a lot of the principles that are presented in like somatic therapy and in, you know, somatic experiencing therapy that I'm trained in. But often some good ways of moving some of this sort of like exhausted stress, chronic stress, burnout stress through you, things like physical activity. And it doesn't have to be going out and jogging around the block or going out and lifting weights. It could literally just be like, you know, shaking your body around in the car, or it could be some like gentle stretching, or it could be jumping up and down, you know, it could be whatever it is that your body is able to do that feels like it can move that out of you, right? Can move that energy out of you. It could be paying attention to your breathing, being really intentional about very slow, deep breathing, especially really slowing down the out breath. Or it could be leaning into the people around you, right? So it's like if you've been running around all day at work, you're in a really stressful work environment, and then you come home, instead of it being about okay, I got to button it up and like make dinner and be okay. Maybe it really is about I'm going to sit down with my partner and we're going to have a little chat on the couch about our day and have some tea together. It's just going to be 10 minutes, right? And that's how I'm going to kind of let go of some of this. It could be crying if you want to cry, you know, like honestly, most of the time I think it's better to cry rather than just trying to hold back crying. And again, it doesn't have to be big and dramatic and in front of a bunch of people. It can be, you know, quietly in the closet by yourself in the walk-in you at work oh that's yeah. A good one. yeah that's a good one that's a good <laughs> one that the floor of the kitchen floor of the kitchen's a good spot for me <laughs> oh, God, oh. Yeah. just like laying it all out there to y'all yeah. out there uh-huh. <laughs> um or it could be leaning into getting affection right it could be something like wanting your partner or a friend or just someone you trust to like squeeze you you know or do something kind of very like physically stimulating to your body, again, just to kind of get things moving. It could be laughter. It could be creative self-expression. There's a lot of options. You know, a good place to start is just kind of really starting to tune into your body and get curious about like what sounds like it would feel nice or what does it sound like my body wants to do right now, which may be different from what sounds like it would be nice right now, mm-hmm. you know, and then kind of finding a way to approximate that. Again, being able to complete the cycle is important because, you know, keeping your body in that activated physiological state, which again is created by chronic stress. Uh, if you have a trauma history and you're like constantly, that's constantly being activated, that can be an issue. Um, but this builds up over time and it can lead to other serious health issues. But again, all this goes back to the task of ideally avoiding burnout and avoiding oversaturation in the first place if you can. So if you are saturated or you feel like you're approaching saturation in your life, just try to be honest with everyone, the the people that are closest to you, and, and explain that feeling to them. Explain that maybe you'll be making some changes in the future or very soon to try to help with that saturation, to try to help ease those feelings. And I think if they care about you, they're hopefully going to understand your need to take care of yourself in that moment. And this also goes with new partners who may not know you as well, who may be a little bit more, oh, uh, I thought we just got into a relationship and it sounds like maybe you're pumping the brakes a little bit here. You know, you may be really excited about that new connection and tell them that, but perhaps you're at a period of time where you need to only see them twice a month or once a month just because you've got a lot going on right now. I think it's good to manage expectations early on so that people aren't upset, you know, when they realize, oh, shit, this person isn't going to be as available as I thought that they were going to be. 
this is a trap I've fallen into a lot yeah, of times. I was in thinking the past. of you. <laughs> yeah. Where it would often be there was some circumstance in my life that put more free time on my plate. Like when I was going from gig to gig, it would be that time in between jobs, right? Where it's like, gosh, I've got all this extra free time. I'm going to start dating. And maybe if I start dating someone new during this time, I'm like, yeah, I'm available. Come over every night. We're going to hang out all the time. It's going to be great. And then there's that thing of like, shoot, what? Do, how do I maintain this now? Right? Or, oh, okay, now my other partner who is on a trip, now they're back. And now suddenly I've got less time for this new person. And that can feel like a slight to them, or I'm going to try to make it work with that same amount of time that I was spending. And it's just an easy trap to fall into when your circumstances are kind of changing week to week or month to month. And so to me, that comes back to a more difficult lesson I had to learn about the boundary thing, which is kind of understanding what's my kind of real sustainable bandwidth for relationships and realizing that even if right now I've got more time, I need to try to keep to that one that I know is sustainable. Because even though I might want to do this right now, in the long run, this is going to end up adding more stress and frustration and hurt and things like that. Also, something to bear in mind, some of us can forget this. You can also ask for things, <laughs> right? That What? It, yeah. If you're, I mean, just as, as an example, right? if you're identifying, hey, there's a big emotional or mental load that's fallen on me or that I've chosen to take on or that I assume that I need to take on or be the one to take on. You can also ask your partners to help contribute to that. Or you can ask your partners even for a temporary favor, right? Of, I know I was the one who was supposed to take on like planning our date this week, but I'm just feeling really overwhelmed. Do you mind taking that on, right? Do you mind being the one to pick out where we're going to go and kind of make the reservations or whatever it is, right? Or with things like calendaring, you know, the thing that all non-monogamous people need to eventually develop as a skill. If it can be like, I'm so sorry, I'm just really overwhelmed right now. Like, can you be the one to take a look at our schedule and figure out a time when we're going to hang out with these friends together or whatever it is? Something we've talked about on the show before, specifically regarding having a radar, scheduling a radar, planning a radar. We affectionately call it radar daddying, you know, being really explicit of like, can you be the the radar radar daddy daddy. (laughs) this month of being the one to schedule it, to remember it, to remind us that we're going to do it, you know, to make a plan of where and when we're going to do it. Things like that. Because also, ideally, your partnerships are a two-way street, right? That's sort of the whole point of being in human connection is that we're able to take care of each other. And so maybe you might want to examine, like, am I taking on too much? Am I taking on stuff that I wasn't asked to take on, right? Or even if that's not the case, can I just ask? You know, can I just ask for help? Can I just ask for help from the people that love me? And chances are people will be happy to help you. And then also, you may look at other areas of your life that you might want to adjust to give yourself some more breathing room, you know? So like maybe even though you're saturated, you're really enjoying your partnerships and you like being able to spend this amount of time with the people that you're seeing and having this level of relationship. And so that maybe means, are there other things in my life that I could stand to do less frequently, dedicate less of my time or energy or bandwidth to, to the best of my ability? Yeah, that one's such a challenge for me. Mm. If it's like I'm taking on too many projects of that Is there one of these that I could say, okay, I'm going to put this down for a while and maybe resume this in the future? That's a tough balance, right? Like you don't want to just like abandon all of your personal pursuits just for the sake of maintaining a ton of relationships. I often commit myself to too many different projects that I want to do. I've always got, you know, probably 20 different ones that I'd like to be doing and then maybe five that I'm actively doing something on. So, you know, as an example of just some places to consider and look at for where you might be able to find some of that extra bandwidth. Uh, And it's possible that you'll need some help with that. I know this is something that I will often talk with my therapist about of this like, okay, I've got too much going on. Can you help me figure out where can I get back some of this energy? Like, what can I be doing to better take care of myself? Um, I've often found that doing, like spending less time on certain things I may actually do just as good a job of that thing and also be in a healthier, better state and getting more sleep to kind of show up better in all the areas of my life. So kind of looking at 
some of these other other tweaks and areas that it might not just be this one-to-one, ah, I have to have one less partner than this. You know, it could be renegotiating those relationships or any other part of your life. So just to kind of end on this note of think creatively, think outside the box and, and look at what might be some other things that I could do. Because ultimately, the goal here is that you want to be having a happy and fulfilling life and you want to be showing up for your partners and your friends and your family in ways that are effective and that that matter and that are caring and there's not just everything is ugh this sense of obligation and so by taking this time to really think about this and evaluate it and have some boundaries hopefully we can be doing a better job of that but i do feel like i've gotten better at it over the years and so we want to hear from all of you our question of the week this week on our instagram stories is how can you tell when you're emotionally or socially saturated we would love to hear from you. Like, What are your telltale signs? How do you know? And hopefully that can help some other people identify that for themselves. Also, if you want to talk more about this episode, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in the episode's discussion channel on our Discord server, or you can post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. This episode was researched by Dr. Kiana Nurse. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Joshin Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 dollars more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details